back to Sister Radio. I'm Akitami. I hope you're all doing well and you're taking very good care of yourselves. I'm sending you a big virtual hug and lots of love. And I hope you really enjoy episode 5. If you are joining us for the first time, a big welcome to Sister Radio. We bring to you new episodes every full moon and every new moon. Each episode, I'm joined by a different sister for a conversation where we share our experiences and thoughts on everything, including art, activism, growing up, work, and of course, reading books written by female authors. Sister Radio is a podcast by Sister Library, a community-owned, community-run feminist library in Bombay. If you like what we are doing here, please share Sister Radio with your friends and your family so that we can reach more people. For today's episode, I'm so thrilled to have my sister Sheelisha join me. Sheelisha Rajbandari is a visual artist, a cultural organizer and co-founder of the artist collective Artree Nepal. She is also co-curating the upcoming Kathmandu Trinale. In her practice, she frequently tries to encounter the simple yet socially forbidden and taboo subject matter with a focus on women's struggles, celebrating their resilience. Her works explore the current transformation of Nepal from a once important center for trans-Himalayan trade to a geopolitical situation in flux between the two emerging world powers of India and China. Shilisha has received national and international international recognition and has exhibited her works globally. All right, let's start the conversation. Mm. Hi, Sheila Welcome to Sister Radio. Thank you for having me here. So great to have you. Can you tell me where you're sheltered right now? I am in Kathmandu and we have a shared studio with the members of my collective Atri Nepal. Uh, we're all living together at the moment and caring for each other. That sounds so wonderful. It's like a dream to be sharing spaces with other artist friends. How has the situation been there? <laughs> it's pretty hard here in India right now. Um, I mean, it is definitely a bit frustrating, also given the fact that it's not just the COVID, but it's all the reaction it is having. It's the lockdown, it's the unpredictability. And after all these months of lockdown, uh, the cases are still rising. So in, in the initial phase, a lot of people who were working in the cities had to go back to their respective places walking, and some of them had to walk like for 19 days, 20 days. Some people um, came from India because of exhaustion, died right in the border. Unemployment rate has increased a lot. Suicide rate has increased a lot. Yeah, and then this is this happened right five years after the major earthquake, which we had in 2015. And we haven't yet healed from that wound of the earthquake yet. And then this is happening. A lot of things, the situation, it, it's not entirely new and COVID-19 cannot be blamed for what is happening because it's just like sort of highlighting or like just exaggerating what is already there existed all those discrimination all those gaps in the society it's just exaggerating it yeah I totally agree 
it's been such a difficult time how are you taking care of yourself during this time um yeah so luckily so we've been together like living together and we were able to sort of emotionally and mentally support each other but this situation was a bit different from the earthquake type because in earthquake we went out there and we direct do whatever we could but in this time because of the unpredictability of the situation because you you yourself can be the host there are a lot of thing and then we couldn't be as active as before in so many other cases uh, when you we used to be but then also in the name of lockdown and covid there are the many things are happening so that those are the thing we're sort of trying to address and help in a way with the help of other activists wow yeah that sounds absolutely amazing uh what are you working on right now currently co-curating Kathmandu Triennale and this situation has sort of we had to reinvent so many ways of working uh, but I'm also working in my own projects but then the situation of course has been very challenging we have to rely on the online platform a lot but then as we know it it's not practical in so many ways so we are trying to reinvent or invent different mediums different technique and different strategies to work to to continue I'm so excited about Kathmandu Trinale it's so great to have you and Hitman curated it's not very often actually it's not ever that we see indigenous peoples leading especially when it comes to art and definitely in other spaces too we hardly ever see indigenous names and having you as curators of one of the major art spaces in the South Asian region that is so refreshing and that is so great and yeah i'm looking forward to the kind of works that you bring in for the trinale at the curatorly we are looking into artists who are um generally not kept in the fine art like not perceived inside the fine art bracket and also a lot of artists are not from kathmandu or not from the cities themselves so like a lot of people don't have internet so that is a another layer of challenge including the challenge which is there artists who are from diverse ethnicity diverse indigenous group and who speak diverse languages uh, and dialect that is another layer of challenge added the lockdown and challenge in mobility it's really wonderful to see that you are really looking at yeah. finding representation for different groups of indigenous peoples because that's also really rare yeah and it's also like when there are representations it's very problematic kind of representation because it's either very exoticized or it's mm-hmm. like tokenistic or are very tourist centric or are very patronizing you know and it just to have representation is not enough to have what kind of perspective is that what kind of intention is there um and also to have that intellectual ownership coming from the 
poor community themselves and not upper class, upper caste people owning that. It's, it's multiple layers uh, which, which we have to be really careful and we're trying to be careful in this uh, and sensitive in the Trenale and we're so very much trying to focus upon first person narrative. The artists themselves come from the family lingiers, you know, and they're speaking from themselves and we're because we're sick and tired of the of the gaze, you know. So. Yeah, I feel like you being the curator of the Trinale also takes away the burden from the artist to have to perform for a non-indigenous curator who oftentimes does not have the knowledge of indigenous practices or has not unpacked her or his own privileges. And, you know, like the indigenous artist oftentimes has to perform and present their works, our works, in a way which is acceptable to them which ticks their boxes <laughs> and that is violent yeah i feel like just by you occupying that space it already is helping indigenous artists thrive <laughs> Yeah, there definitely is there this very preconceived idea and Im- imposed colonial nationalistic ideas of what art should be, especially in indigenous communities. The the process of knowledge transferring is happened through performative practices, oral histories, material history, and a lot of artworks are also ephemeral and then it might not necessarily have human figure in it. That definitely is very different from what art institute and educational institute is boxing framing what art is and if we see the history of educational institute themselves it is of course very colonial we are following that colonial legacies and then there's another layer where there's this idea of what is art what is craft what is higher art lower art there's this idea where art in one point became collection material Mm -hmm when the colonization were happening that social and communal values of art was sort of taken away in exhibitions like world education forums etc and then that definitely had distorted the relationship between people community and art and that fragment is definitely there and we can definitely not undo the history so to exist between all these dimensions and parallel realities is also challenging in a way Yeah, I totally get it. It is really difficult and quite precarious Mm. space to exist uh, given the geographical location Mm. that we are at where we have resisted and survived cultural genocide as indigenous peoples. I think it is a difficult space when we start articulating uh, within this space, especially with all of the works about us seems to portray the idea or push the narrative that indigenous people are a thing of the past like we are some relic and Mm. not really existing thriving living cultures of the day I have had a constant unease when navigating art spaces and like even Mm. with some of our own people showing images where I feel like wow this is not made keeping us in mind but for a different viewership who would be comforted by the idea that we are not present
isn't anymore so in that how do you reconfigure and re-indigenize art practice and art spaces especially given that there is a market that demands you to do certain things but there's also your uh, ethics and morality as an indigenous person so i wonder how you navigate through this through our collective actor in nepal we come from five indigenous community gurung tharu tamang limbu and newa and that in itself in our initial phase when we met and when we we started to work together and we started to realize that we are so similar to each other but we yet we don't know each other at all because we've been brainwashed with certain education all our lives and then you know it's such a difficult process to rediscover your own roots and especially like you said there has been strategical genocide strategical removal and erasures of your history uh, there were times where picking your own mother tongue could take your life so there's like entire process of unlearning and relearning but then that discovering process is extremely difficult because the history has been erased and for us like at the moment our best way of understanding ourselves has been to go to the communities our own communities uh, each other's communities like be very close to the activists who've been risking their lives we were trained in art school and had certain education and that definitely shaped our understanding of art and at the same time there is this entire global art moments which i think is very very interesting how indigenous communities from all around the world are trying to reclaim their identities trying to create their space reclaim their spaces and this idea of contemporary art is also becoming very diverse in a in a non cliche way <laughs> we are living in a very interesting art time it is actually really important not just to imitate the symbol or even recreate the symbols but then to live the ideal logics that intangible things and the tangible things are reflection of those intangible things and within my own practice or in our artist collective this is something we talk about that the system itself and the reason behind it we do create something but why are we creating it is so important to reflect back to have a critical perception towards we are very egalitarian and then the decision making uh, we have no hierarchy and everybody have their own vote and then we share resources that is the most important thing we do and which has been sustaining us and that came very organically within our group it was no strategy we don't have five year plan five year strategy most of us we were reflecting back to our own as ancestral practices and our own community uh, lived within the tribes how they coexisted with other tribes how our community and neighborhood functioned and we like maybe it came very naturally often when we think about the past we only think about a kingdom a king raja and janta things like that but then when we go back to the oral history there were democracies and there were elections and there were cooperation how everybody had share and then how that share were redistributed and when there were profit then it was used for the betterment of the community and it is so inspiring and i'm trying going back to that level not just depicting or recreating but then how to inspire from that social coherence self absolutely 
you've just so beautifully stated it that we had a system we had a system in place that was a brilliant system that is developed mm. through years and years of practice and then mm. instead of upholding these systems we are forced to practice systems of injustice through either the varna system or through the european system of <laughs> domination and when things are failing we are told that the system is failing why does it surprise people it's failing it is not an organic system it's not a system that was created by the people from the subcontinent by the indigenous people it wasn't so it's bound to fail also it's super backward in the sense that how limited yeah. it has been for women within these yeah, exactly. systems it's so backward i mean this is also something like i had this conversation like just recently yesterday with one of our members who was tamang where like in tamang community it, it is still i mean patriarchal but then there are so many other thing where women were the lead where women had a lot of freedom which is reversed now in very recent years so like for example women didn't had to change her surname or her like family spirit they had right for divorce uh, there was no system there's no word for widow at all and then choose their like partner and now in recent time the women are taking husband's name which is totally unnecessary so there are a lot of thing which is actually reversing for indigenous women which is very sad it is first of all the hindu system which was forced for 250 years and still is very active in a way through the government but it's also the media it's also how all these hollywood bollywood are stigmatized and there's so much taboo there's a creation of taboo which didn't existed before it's just so annoying and also exhausting to see this happening every single day uh, anyway uh let's talk about your childhood tell me where did you grow up how was it when growing up um my father died when i was really young and then i was raised by my single mother and then my matriarchal grandmother it was very disorienting years cuz the society we were living in the system we were following were very patriarchal but at the same time i was raised by this leading womans this but then their contribution were never acknowledged so my dead father was more important than my living mother and grandmother who were giving blood and tears and sweat to raise us there was also taboo around reclaiming your womanhood also for uh, such a longest period of time i avoided that very consciously also and also in terms of how i dress because i faced it very directly when my father died and that absence of male figure um and then femininity almost became i i tried to sort of avoid femininity uh, also uh, in a younger a time we didn't had exemplary like idol woman like we were all surrounded by in the schools colleges art colleges everywhere uh, men later on um, i slowly started to understand myself research a bit meet feminists understand the movement and 
friends. It took me some time because there was this lot of taboo around it also, no? There's a perception towards a feminist or female. And then later on, slowly I started to sort of talk to my own grandmother and my own mother. And I started to talk about my grandmother's grandmother. And I discovered so many things which I never, was never, first of all, acknowledged within my own family because they were females. And then this sort of discussion also doesn't happen normally also in the society uh, also in the feminist movement a lot of the movement are also uh, like especially foster and fem- feminist women are also driven by caste Hindu like uh, upper caste Brahmin and Chhatris and which would that and they have a completely different sort of conversation and so yeah and then I started to collect oral history and I made a series of work dedicated to my grandmother and her grandmother so almost like five generation of women till till me I also started to understand this relationship between the landscape city and a woman's existence within there and how uh, exactly same incident in the history is perceived very differently by a male and a female member of my own family and why did that happen and how within their own family they had resisted so many things that became my source of inspiration Nepal uh, was also going through civil war so those were my teen years so it officially started from 1996 and ended in 2006 the reason it started was because of this hundreds uh, of years of domination and marginalization of hundreds of communities indigenous communities Dalits Muslims whose voices had been strategically erased and who were basically the fight was for the identity uh, like in, in terms of like understanding of people those were such an important shifting years the history of feminism also like how women were not part of armed force but the Maoists were taking the arms um, young woman Maoists those were the years where people were discussing about their identity their rights and as a young kid our education system were very brainwashed followed panchayat system of one nation one language one dress in such a diverse community and uh, we were brainwashed that Nepal is one of the most peaceful country and everything is okay everything is all right but then in reality of course it's not uh, so those were the transition years and that definitely made me realize about my own identity also and also it happened to be that when I joined uh, Lalitkala campus uh, I took a sculpture as my major so my campus happened to be in the center of the city next to Ratnapak which was where the most protests and all this thing happened so we used to be sort of reading inside and there used to be protests outside we faced that very directly so we were reading about renaissance art Van Gogh all this thing and what was happening in reality was definitely Definitely very, very different. So that was the time we started to think about our own artistic practices, the materials we were using. And after that, there was a peace process. Of course, all these sacrifices people have made, oh, so many people died, so many people got disappeared. But the reason for what people fought for also disappeared. Uh, and again, people from higher caste came into the main party. And, and there was another moment of, from the indigenous community where 
again people were dissatisfied and talking about okay it's not over and we haven't really been acknowledged and identified and so it was at that time that people were talking about how many indigenous communities are there how many diverse languages are there which is very different from what mainstream media used to feed you know so it was almost one of the first time in the history so this sort of discussion happened in the student level itself now reflecting back those moments definitely shaped us feed us nourished us to what we are now wow that is super intense and i can't even begin to imagine what a civil war for such a long time must have felt like and post that there was indigenous resistance always a difficult time to explain to people about mm. indigenous people in the south asian region would you say you've had that experience too saying coming from nepal like there's another layer that when we talk about south asia people in general just think about india and then pakistan and then bangladesh and so these three countries are like the major conversation and then a lot of discourses also around uh, partition stories uh, hindu muslim stories but then of course there's so much of diversity and intensity and so much of other layers of history people don't recognize these things and and coming from nepal that is like this first thing and then indigeneity is another layer and of course nepal quite does not neatly fit into the colonized country it was not directly colonized by the british but then the indigenous community here of course thinks the shakings were the colonizer and to communicate that complexity is definitely challenge yeah i can imagine especially within india and like you know the relationship between india and nepal it's very tricky because every time people think of another nepali person in india they imagine that they are hindus mm. <laughs> because like nepal was also recognized as the only hindu country yeah. in the world like it's really absurd <laughs> that nepal having such a large indigenous people's history and history of resistance their image to the world still uh, remains to be as a hindu country yeah it's either hindu or buddhist uh, one of the pride of nepal is that buddha was born in nepal but within buddhism also uh, when we met we we had also discussed about nature worshiping religions like bon religion had been forcefully converted both into hindu and buddhist i mean buddhism has very violent history and it's not just the peaceful religion as projected in the world the problem is that uh, the indigenous community themselves don't know how to access their histories uh, there's very less resources and this idea of we are all nepali the nationalistic idea uh, and that definitely becomes difficulty in understanding your own bloody history of oppression yeah absolutely agree with everything that you said mm. i also think that with us yeah. it's difficult to accept our history of oppression because it's not a history that is over and done with it's yeah. an ongoing yeah. oppression that we are living yeah. every single day accepting that is yeah dramatic. exactly Yeah there is a stone um um in in one of a, a neighboring city of Kathmandu which is within the Kathmandu valley but it's a different city it's called Kirtipur and it's believed that um, the stone is related to the Shah king who conquered the Kathmandu valley and till this date people go there and spit on the stone expressing their frustration so the spitting thing became also sort of uh, an organized thing in the day where the shaking was born so people go there and spit 
it or in an organized manner uh, in, in, in the Shaking's birthday. And recently, Prime Minister <laughs> got so scared of people just spitting that he sent uh, armed force to guard the stone so people cannot spit there. <laughs> what? What? Really? What? Isn't your prime minister communist? What is this of really? Of course, our wow. left is our li- right, almost. <laughs> yeah, quite uh, an example to show to the indigenous people that it does not really matter, left or right, it's all the same for us. Okay, I'm going to take you back to work again. Tell us a little more about Kathmandu Trinale. What has your work been like curating Kathmandu Trinale so far? It has been amazing. Um, so, uh, yeah, the cur- so curatorly, we are, Itman and I, we are co-curating and Gosman Kostinas from Barisite is artistic director. And uh, so initially we had uh, Kathmandu Trinale 2020, but then early this year we redid our visual identity and we decided to decolonize the calendar system itself. So from 2020, Georgian calendar, we came in to become Samad calendar. Uh, so in Nepal, we are in the year 2077 right now. <laughs> I mean, having said that, we have a lot of different calendars within Nepal itself. 2077 calendar is the formal one. So starting from it itself, uh, we have decided how can we decolonize the concept of art? How can we acknowledge the diverse form of artistic expressions? How to acknowledge the struggles and resistance uh, the indigenous community are having in this time how uh, indigenous artists are visualizing their future through um, indigenous futurism how does queerness and femininity and feminism and matriarchy exist within this so these are uh, the things we are working on and it's almost like a constellation where it has like all these sections have their own independence but at the same time it's very interconnected and in terms of artists we have traveled in different parts of Nepal which luckily we could do before uh, the lockdown happened, but we had to cancel a lot of our travel as well. We also traveled in different parts of the world through our, through our own projects. And a lot of artists, we've been knowing them from more than a decade also, some of them. Uh, some of them we came to know through our, our research. It's also sort of important that how you mentioned earlier that when we are talking about various forms of expressions and indigenous expressions. We really have to be sensitive on like, like how that connection is happening and how that interpretation is happening. Uh, because within the indigenousness of certain countries have more power or more economic capability to power their indigenous community. Certain countries, when you call yourself indigenous, you can be marked as anti-nationalist, terrorist. So there are different layers of sensitivity within that there are certain privileges within that not to repeat the cliche again is also very important yeah i i really appreciate what you're doing mm. and i'm in awe of you in a time when just existing as an indigenous woman is in itself an act of defiance and it needs so much courage 
I can't even imagine how it must be feeling to occupy this space of power and having to balance all of these different aspects of being indigenous and being mindful of what you are trying to show. It must be really hard. <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Well, I, it, it is almost like a, and I see it almost like a, almost like a protest also in a way, uh, but as an artistic protest. <laughs> yes. So this is the perfect opportunity for me to ask you about your favorite books written by female authors. Uh, there's this book which is very emotional and very strong. Uh, there was a, a workshop organized by uh, Voices of Women Media and the workshop was uh, facilitated by Kronika Kui, which is like strong unapologetically feminist poet and uh, the workshop was of all female victims of civil war who were affected who were tortured who were raped by um mostly by army and some of them by the maoist also because in the war like rape and torturing women's body is used as a weapon and then there are the survivals they published this little book called maunadi chronicles of silence which just gives me power every time i read it and it is published by chetana publishers and there's another book which is called Paichanko Khoji which is edited by uh, Kailash Rai um, and published by Indigenous Media Foundations and it is a collection of different articles about uh, like uh, indigenous women and it's it's very rare to have that collection all written about indigenous women so yeah I think I gave both the books uh, both Paichanko Khoji and Chronicles of silence it's I true think. Uh, you have very generously gifted us these books if anyone would like to have a look these copies are in the library please feel welcome to come and stop by anytime you'd wish once we reopen after the lockdown yeah yeah <laughs> is there an organization or like a group that's working during this time that you would want to give a shout out to mm, so there is this organization called sano paila uh, which is based in janakpur and pirganj uh, in southern part of nepal which is uh, neighboring to uh, uh, india and that is the most affected area in terms of like covid and currently they are doing amazing job um so yeah so they're doing great do you have a word of advice for young indigenous female artists oh i think it's really important to first of all um listen to your mothers and grandmothers and and really broaden our own understanding of art and our own ancestral practices uh 
because the world can be so distracting and the world can be so strategically manipulating and to have connection with our community first is very important. That is um, such an important advice. It's so important yeah. for us to also keep reminding ourselves to foster connections and to honor connections that we have also. Uh, thank you for such a brilliant advice. Um, now... <laughs> How can one be a sister supporter? There's so much of thing we can do. But just, I think, to embrace each other, first of all, and to listen. There's no space to listen nowadays. And to talk and share, first of all. And then everything will just open up. That's so important. I can't stress how important communication is. Communication is key. That's such an important thing. Thank you for sharing that. And finally, tell us where our listeners can reach you. Uh, I am in Instagram and Facebook and I have a blog which I don't update a lot. Uh, but I'm really active in Instagram the most. Yeah, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. I am so grateful that you could join us today, Sheila I love you and I love your work and I appreciate everything that you do. And it's so wonderful to see you thriving and it fills my heart with so much warmth and joy to see you and to be able to call you my sister thank, thank you again for making time and i love you so much and thank you for creating like spaces like these uh i mean you walk directly in the community and also like spaces like this where we're so like distanced from each other but then creating sp like safe space where we can share and talk and express Thank you for creating spaces like this. <laughs> of course, I'm so glad you could join us. The conversation that we had today is everything, is just everything. And I have so much to thank you for and just so much love for you in my heart. No, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure to, to be part of this sisterhood. <laughs> no, seriously. I'm seriously so happy to meet you, Emma. You cannot believe how happy I am. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of Sister Radio, you just heard a conversation between me, Akitami, and Sheila Rajbandari. Her social media info is in the show notes. Please make sure to give her a follow and check out her work. Uh, if you like to follow Sister Library on Instagram, we are sister.library. On Twitter, we are at Sister Library. If you'd like to write to us, we are ilovereadingwomen at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support our work, please make sure to check out our crowdfunder. The link is in the show notes again. Um, music for Sister Radio is composed by my sister Shasha Patel. That is all the time we have for today. 
thank you again for tuning in and until next time keep celebrating women